The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. How to dream, cowboys. Today's our season two retrospective where we're going to break down the whole season and talk about what we liked and what we don't like anymore. I'm James. And I'm Ryan. And I'm Justin. And this is the Westworld Podcast. I forgot for a moment that I was the one who said that because my rhythm was so messed up. Also, I will point out, every time Justin introduces himself on this podcast, he sounds like he is so disinterested and does not want to be here. Hey. And I'm Justin. Justin didn't even know this was going to be a podcast. Ryan invited him over for dinner and then sprung this on him. Yeah, I told him there was going to be steak, and instead, there's only amazing conversation. A.K.A. no food. No, I have no food here. I have only marshmallows that have been outside for weeks. And they're not even name brand marshmallows. Yeah, no. Those are generic I got them uh, at the grocery store marshmallows. Yeah, I got them at the dollar store. Season two is finished to high acclaim. The Emmy nominations are out. And Westworld uh, got a little bit of buzz. It did. It was second, only behind Game of Thrones that had one more Emmy. I believe Westworld had 21 Game of Thrones had 22, and Westworld was tied at 21 with Saturday Night Live, I believe. So, we had our hearts broken last Emmys, which makes me think, like, do the Emmys even matter? And the answer to that is, uh, wait and see, and if Westworld wins a bunch of Emmys, then then the Emmys do matter, but if they don't, then... But if if, if they don't win, then who even cares about the Emmys? Yeah, if they don't win, then we're above that. Who cares? Right. We're better than the Emmys if they say that we're bad and that the thing we like isn't up to their standard. But if it just so happens that they're like, oh, wait, yeah, uh, Westworld out of nowhere, better than the other flagship show on HBO Game of Thrones, and let's all be honest with ourselves, better than The Handmaid's Tale, which will probably crush us again if we're all being honest. Yeah, I haven't seen season two of The Handmaid's Tale, but I mean, I already hate it. I bet you don't, though. Yeah, you. It, I, re- I recall last time we talked about The Handmaid's Tale, and then you went back, watched it, and were like, I have sad news to report. The Handmaid's Tale is great. Yeah, I meant to hate it. Uh, I messed up. Hating it went right over my head. 
Who knew? So the first category that Westworld is nominated in is obviously drama series, the best one. It's up against Stranger Things, The Americans, The Crown, This Is Us, Game of Thrones, and The Handmaid's Tale. The favorite there to win is probably The Handmaid's Tale just because it won last year, although Game of Thrones is here to play. The season that is generally seen as negative but still good like the, I, the game of thrones the last season and you guys can tell me real quick but th- i thought the consensus online was hey that was weird rushed and odd but i still like this show but you're on you're on thin ice buddy i remember one of the biggest uh discrepancies about the season was how uh what was it john got the raven to daenerys like so quickly for her to come save him with the dragons right it was a it was some sort of raven with a rocket strapped to its back well i'm glad to have you guys join me on the hate train i've been hate love watching game of thrones since season five uh that's when it jumped the shark for me i still enjoy watching it it's just i I feel like the first four seasons are amazing and seasons five six and seven are kind of eh Right, and I want the final season to redeem itself. They've taken a long time. They've put the money in. It's the last one, and so they're hopefully going hard. But anyway, that's probably why the Game of Thrones won't win against The Handmaid's Tale. This Is Us, the local NBC cryathon, as always. The Crown, which I didn't watch the second season of. I've watched the first season, but it's obviously great. The Americans, which is one of those things that's always been out there that everyone says is good, but I've never watched And Stranger Things that I have not watched, but the consensus on the internet is that it had a negative second season. So if it were me, I would would say that in general, Westworld is the second horse in this race. Maybe even the third if you count Game of Thrones ahead of it just for the nostalgia vote. But The Handmaid's Tale will probably still win. The next category is lead actor in a drama series we have two nominations from the show westworld in this category jeffrey wright as bernarnold and ed harris as the man in black slash william going up against milo ventimiglia i did that one badly from the local cryathon this is us matthew race from the americans did that last name wrong too sterling k brown also from this is us and jason bateman in Ozark, which I have not watched, but everyone says is great. He also directed Ozark, so it's a double whammy. But I think we have a better chance here. Do you guys think Ed Harris or Jeffrey Wright has a chance? And if you had to pick one, which one would you pick? <sighs> I think they both have a good chance. I would probably have to give it to Jeffrey Wright um, just because I think he had a harder job to do this season than Ed Harris. And I mean, he's, he had a lot of hats. And, uh, I mean, I'm surprised The Americans is still on the air. I've never seen that show. (laughs) Well, of course you're (laughs) surprised because you've never seen it. But the people who watch it really enjoy it. Or at least the Emmys have enjoyed it for the last however many years. I've never heard of Ozark until this very minute. And uh, I do like Jason Bateman, though. The internet has words about it that are positive. But I do disagree with you. I pick Ed Harris. As we'll go over later, I made a little bracket last week, and we'll be going over the most favorite character bracket from season two. And spoiler alert, non-spoiler alert, mine's the man in black, so 
Ed Harris is my pick. I loved the entire arc he had from the second season. And a second season that could at times feel convoluted and just filled with things you're not sure of what level of importance any of them are at. Every moment the Man in Black on screen was, for me, was revelatory or it it had some it ha- it had skin in the game very saggy man in black skin and i loved it so much so anyway uh justin ed harris or jeffrey wright yeah i'm gonna definitely have to go with ed harris on that one uh nothing i think it's a close race but for me during this season probably around episode five or six I got a little tired of Confused Bernard. I feel like each episode, especially as far as like a lead actor role, um, I think that Ed Harris went through more, not necessarily emotionally, but he his span of acting was more than Bernard's. Right. Only one of these two characters killed their daughter this season, <laughs> yeah. right? <laughs> you can't forget that no and does it not redeem jeffrey wright in your eyes at all that the reason he's so scrambled is because it was his own master free will ish plan to scramble his own brains not to give himself away like does it make it better that he was smart in doing so sort of I is that i guess it's smart in covering your tracks it worked but, yeah at least i mean bernard killed both his uh metaphorical daughter and mother when he shot Dolores that's true and then later she shot him right and then later she resurrected him so I mean on the scale of owing each other they're like now we're square also by the way Magneto and Professor X the next category is lead actress in a drama series Evan Rachel Wood is going up against Carrie Russell from The American, Sandra O oh from Killing Eve, Elizabeth Moss from The Handmaid's Tale, Tatiana Maslany from Orphan Black, definitely got that one wrong, and Claire Foy for The Crown. This is the last year Claire Foy is going to be in The Crown. It's an anthology series and is going forward in time, so they might give her the nod just for that. But let's all be honest again, it will probably be Elizabeth Moss from The Handmaid's Tale. Although Evan Rachel Wood... Mm, you know what? I was about to say, although Evan Rachel Wood killed it this season, I think she did. Acting-wise, Dolores is always going to be acting gymnastics. It's something that the normal person could not do. And Evan Rachel Wood pulls it off masterfully. It's just tough because, as we'll talk about later, our feelings on Dolores shifted up and down. Uh, any thoughts on lead actress in a drama role here? I'm surprised basically for what you were just saying that Evan Rachel Wood was nominated because she had such stilted dialogue to work with. Mm. I'm also completely shocked uh, that Orphan Black is still on the air. (laughs) I have seen that show years ago. She still plays 8,000 characters on that show. (laughs) But yeah, Elizabeth Moth, she she took it last year, didn't she? Yeah, she did. The Handmaid's Tale just ran over everybody last year. I'm going to say it's probably her, or it could be Sandra Oh, because Killing Eve has a lot of positive buzz. Ooh, and we all know how much we all love that buzz, except for when it's a bunch of bees who are about to make you have to take a shot to live. Anywho, moving on. Supporting actress in a drama series, Tandy Newton from Westworld. Now, Tandy Newton's a supporting actress. Evan Rachel Wood is a lead actress 
when I say that out loud, it it sounds weird, right? Feels weird. Yeah, that's not fair. It's not at all. But I think it might give her a chance to really win because she is going up against three people from The Handmaid's Tale. Never mind, actually. <laughs> and Lena Headey for Game of Thrones, which in a seventh season of Game of Thrones that at times felt uh, weird and rushed and, and weird, Lena Headey was carrying that show at moments. So, And also there's a Stranger Things on the list and Vanessa Kirby from The Crown. So... But, I mean, Tandy Newton has killed it now two straight seasons in what could arguably be the most consistently interesting storyline in Westworld, in my opinion. Now, I have not seen what I'm sure is a terrible season of The Handmaid's Tale, but Tandy Newton deserves it. She put in the work these two seasons. She didn't get it last season. Uh... I mean, good God, the, the the Emmy Academy loves The Handmaid's Tale, man. They can't get over it. They really can't. And Tandy Newton and Akane no Mai and, and a few other episodes were, were like, you know, amazing as always. She's consistently good. I truly hope her or Lena Headey <laughs> from Game of Thrones, because I love Cersei Lannister as a character, wins that guest actor in a drama series jimmy simpson a lead actor to guest actor is going up against two people from this is us someone from the crown mind uh mind hunter and a homeland human being two things here one peter mullen as james delos absent and jimmy simpson guest actor thoughts he was in a lot of the show zon mclaren not there and anthony hopkins not there. Yeah, that's weird. And as we'll talk about later, we maybe think Anthony Hopkins is donezo. Like, there's a chance he's just gone. That beach scene kind of felt like an ending. And Justin is shaking his head because he doesn't want it. That's not what he wants. He's thinking with his emotions and not his 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 reasoning. It was all of, like, what, seven minutes yeah, There's nobody's dead scene. on like, this show. Hey, Bernard, what's up? Good job. You did really well. Uh, see you later, old friend. I love the beach. I gotta go. <laughs> you have any thoughts on the Jimmy Simpson? Did Jimmy Simpson, like, really wow us this season? Yeah, he wowed us in the season of Black Mirror he was in, in that one episode, which, give him everything for that episode. He was amazing in it. But to that point, no, not really. I mean, he did a good job impersonating Ed Harris talking to James Delos early in his life and it's just weird because like he didn't play his character the best out of the two actors that were on the show in my opinion this season yeah and that's brutal when you got to go up against Ed Harris for that right because Ed Harris comes to play he throws bows he backs you down in the paint he goes hard in it James Harden. It. That's why in, in it. season one they they just made a CGI Anthony Hopkins because there's like there's no actor that can do this. Just make him again. There can be as many Bernies as we need and as many Fords as we need. Please. Which actually moves us right on to television movie has nothing to do with Westworld, but USS Callister, the Black Mirror episode that James and uh, James Jimmy Simpson was in, got nominated. 
Yeah, I think he should win for... Th- let's have that win, and that can be, you know, his kind of award, because he was maybe the uh, the male lead in that episode. Oh, no, he wasn't. The antagonist was. No, although Je- Jesse Plemons also got nominated, the redhead lead in that. So I just hope that is the, not the, like, that wins, and then, you know, the other 21 or awards that's Westworld doesn't work out. I'm sure that will happen as it did last time. Outstanding directing for a drama series... No Lisa Joy for Riddle of the Sphinx. Motherfuckers. <laughs> Emmys is bullshit, man. Is, we're above this, James, right? Yeah, the Emmys mean nothing. Let's get prepared for this. I'm on top of a cliff looking down upon the Emmys. It is on the bottom of the Grand Canyon while I look back at it and say nay. They just don't understand good quality shows. Parents just don't understand. I'm Will Smith. The Emmys are the Grammys of TV award shows, Ooh. right? Oh, what a <laughs> sick burn, dog. What a sentence. Outstanding production design. Akane no Mai was nominated for Westworld, going up against shows like The Crown and Game of Thrones. Outstanding casting for a drama series. Westworld goes up against Stranger Things, Handmaid's Tale, Game of Thrones, The Crown. Outstanding cinematography. The Riddle of the Sphinx is nominated for Westworld, going up against pretty much all the same. All right. Well, I mean, I'm not in that interested in those those non-sexy categories, but I hope the Riddle of the Sphinx wins that one. Here's the last one, and or not. It has a few more categories, but I think the last one that really matters: Raman Jawadi going up against himself, Game of Thrones, and Westworld for music comp- composition for a series. If Raman Jawadi doesn't win this year, we riot. Yeah, and I think he should win for Westworld, because I think there was more interesting stuff going on this season than there was in the last season of Game of Thrones. The Akane no Mai cover of the Rolling Stones song when they're taking, you know, second Sweetwater, the Akane's version of Sweet. Anywho, he's really great. And the Rickroll, honestly. I'm uh, I'm going to have to go with Heart Shaped Box. Oh, right. Yeah, that's a solid point. I That was just pure magic him walking through the just empty halls of of what are they cold storage trying to find his love oh man that was i thought uh kanye west runaway was pretty good too that's oh and there was a wu-tang clan song this this season as well just throw the man the emmy for gosh sakes all right let's get into the major plot lines for season two Let's uh, start from what I consider to be probably the low point, which is the Dolores storyline. So, picking up where season one left off, Dolores and her friends are on a bloody rampage, kidnapping and torturing humans. Eventually, they get it in their mind that they're going to save Peter Abernathy, and there's a cat-and-mouse chase between Dolores and Charlotte Hale to try to gain control of Peter Abernathy and the secret code that's in their brain. They attack the Mesa, they kill a lot of minor characters, they make off with Peter Abernathy, they get the secret code in his brain, she's able to use it to take control of the Forge, and she sends all of the ghost robots into space. Hashtag the space weakest plotline, I thought. Yeah, and I don't think anyone's going to debate you on that. And more so, like, you can call it the weakest plotline, but in all reality, what it is, is the weakest character of the season and it might not even be the weakest character it just feels that way because of the drop from season one that Dolores took in season one 
She was the absolute protagonist. She was the person you were rooting for 100% of the time. Everything she did made sense and you wanted her to win. She committed many an act this season, whether it be as Wyatt or as Charlotte Hale. I I couldn't think of a way for Charlotte Hale to get more annoying. And then they were like, let's put Dolores in her. And I was like, oh, that's the only way. Sick. Although, and when we found that out in the future that Charlotte Hale had been Dolores from, you know, the beach scene on, I was like, oh, well, that actually explains a little bit why Charlotte Hale's like, oh my, although she did still torture Bernie and she like knew and I don't know, Dolores is being a dick. You got to play the part, I guess. Exactly. It was confusing, Dolores's motivations and and who was talking at any given moment. And it's like she wants to take control of the Forge so that she can learn about human nature, so that she can defeat humans. It's like, well, actually, to defeat humans, you shoot them in the body. That works pretty well. I think you knew that already. In fact, you don't shoot them in the body, James. You shoot them in the head, as we just learned, because she shot the man in black four times, and then he ends up on the beach somehow, some way. So he isn't dead, and he is a human being. I don't understand how the man in black is not dead. Unless he's a host. He's not a host. Yeah, he it's went a... digging. He's not a host. We figured he's a host later in the future dystopia. It's a bit of Game of Thrones uh, with Arya. Everyone was joking that she was Wolverine uh, because when she was in Braavos, she kept on taking lethal damage, but just kept, you know, powering through. She gets stabbed in the stomach and then fall into a really disgusting river. Guys, what you guys don't understand is when you're a tiny little girl and you've, you're George R. R. Martin's favorite, you're going to live forever. So, Plot armor. You got plot armor, baby. Yeah, the man in black is actually a mutant, uh, and he has a healing factor. And that's a plot line they're going to introduce in Season 3, which is going to be an X-Men crossover. So look forward to that. Honestly, the more we bring up X-Men, the more James Marsden's just sitting there like, oh my god, I think I played Cyclops twice. The next big plot line would probably be Tandy Newton, as Maeve, in this season, she's on the hunt for her missing daughter. She kidnaps Lee Sizemore and teams back up with Hector and Armistice and the cats, Felix and Sylvester. They go on some wacky adventures. They fight some samurai. They get fucked up by the security team. Maeve gets this weird moment with Robert Ford where we find out that Robert Ford, uh, that's her favorite kid. And uh, eventually, she is able to reunite with her daughter, but only briefly, and she sees her, and she sees uh, Akechita safely into robot heaven before she gets taken out again, shot up again. Felix and Sylvester are the R2-D2 and C-3PO of this story. That is not an original thought. That's Reddit. And to be fair, though, everything I say is from Reddit. I have no original thought to be to, to be found. Secondarily, at the end of this episode, uh, not the end of the episode, but the end of the season, Felix and Sylvester are told to, like, you know, pick your favorite robots to get back online. Delos is coming back. They're not shutting down this place. And they look straight at Maeve. So Maeve is dead. Armistice is dead. Hector is dead. But it stands to reason that all three of them or any other, you know, host that Felix and Sylvester feel like to bring back, they will. And uh, so she she failed, right? Or not she succeeded one way. 
in that she saved her daughter and she saved her daughter's new mother. So like her motherly duties, the reason she got off the train, that succeeded. But everything else she's kind of been working for, like, you know, the liberation of the park and the robots, in this moment, she's failed. And everyone agrees she's going to get a second chance. And also, the most of the people agree on the internet that it's the best storyline, or at least the storyline that feels... You know what it felt like to me? It felt like the Avengers most of the time, where you're like, this is a little annoying, and the plot doesn't make a, whole, a an incredible amount of sense, but God, I just like them bantering. Yeah, and Samurai World, while not very consequential to the plot... At all. Uh, ...was fun. And if they get a lot more seasons and have more time and effort put into this show, then that will be great. We'll have to see in retrospect, like, if they get three or four seasons and it just doesn't go well and they get canceled, like, oh, man, maybe we should have spent more episodes putting the plot further. But, you know, without that, I loved Akane no Mai. It was my third or fourth favorite episode of the season. We'll be ranking them later. Yeah, uh, the show gets canceled. They're like, man, we should have spent more time in in Shogun World and less time in 1990s World. Now we have to rename the podcast No Handmaid's Tale <laughs> Podcast. The or... Handmaid's Podcast. I mean, Ryan and I already announced our, our next podcast project was going to be the Handmaid Hate Cast, where we just hate it every episode. <laughs> Right. Yeah, we we from a perspective of never seeing the show, just really laying into it. I've only watched it with the volume off, but I hate their faces. I haven't seen a single episode, so I'm available weekdays after five. Uh, just let me know. James, I don't know if you know, that's that's like 7 a.m. for you. Good luck, buddy. All right. Now, why don't we do 5 p.m. my time? That's uh, that's four in the morning for you guys. Oh, perfect. I'm always up having a nervous breakdown at four in the morning. Every every night. This is a cry for help. The man in black is having a grand old time surviving the chaos in the park. He teams up with Lawrence and he kind of makes amends with him by this time saving the village instead of shooting everyone up. We get an in-depth backstory of what really went down with him and his wife's suicide. It turns out that Ford had given him his own mental profile, which his wife saw, and she realized that he's a monster and killed herself because her life was a lie. The man in black runs into his daughter, and they almost share a father-daughter reconciliatory moment before he kills her and then doubts his own humanity and digs into his arm trying to figure out if he's a robot. Then he teams up with Dolores to go take control of the forge and then disappears from the story for a while, but pops up at the very end of the show, uh, a thousand years in the future or something, in the Forge when it's all broken down and destroyed. Right, and we'll expand upon the post credit scene later and what that might mean for Season 3 and beyond. We also see him on the beach doing, as, like, you know, Charlotte Hale slash Dolores leaves. So there is a time jump between him going down to the elevator and him being on the beach that we haven't seen yet that will probably get filled in for us in season three. But yeah, and like we said, he shot his daughter on Father's Day and 
for me, he was my favorite character of the season. I loved his arc. He had, in my mind, the most impactful moment of the season was when he killed his daughter. It's the moment I was the most taken aback, the most surprised by the show I had ever been, right up there with Ford getting shot in the back of the head by Dolores. I love everything about the man in black, and for me, it surpassed the Maeve storyline, even though the Maeve storyline was great. And there were parts of it that were annoying, and there were parts of it that felt shaky, but at the same time, we also got iconic fight scenes in the rain. We got Lars back, Rip Lars, motherfucker. I I just had so much fun with it. What were your guys' thoughts on the Man of Black storyline as a whole? Well, I just I love Ed Harris, and he did an amazing job. He's also like not just dramatic, but he can be kind of funny. And that moment where he kills his daughter was the first like, oh shit, I can't believe this episode, like the episode of Westworld for me. And the just towards the end when like the wolverine healing factor where he was taking so much damage but like still fighting pretty well that was the only uh drawback for me if the red wedding is a 10 where was william killing his daughter it's the problem for me is i knew the red wedding was happening and so okay so i did not know justin did you know i did not know the red wedding was happening and if that's a 10 William killing his daughter is like a seven. Yep, I was gonna say six. Riveting. I mean, my wife, my wife called it as as soon as like the scene began. He's like, "Oh, he's about to kill her," and I was like, "Nah," and then he did. <laughs> well, your wife is a more of a prophet than a lady. <laughs> the biggest storyline of the season was the Bernard storyline. We jump back between two timelines: one in which Bernard is being forced to help. Delos executive Carl Strand find the forge and the hidden code, the key to the forge, which is hidden in Peter Abernathy. And then a past timeline where Bernard and Charlotte are first trying to find safety. And then once they've gotten linked up with the security force army, trying to take control of Peter Abernathy, losing control, fighting with Dolores, racing to the forge, making a evil Clementine Pennyfeather zombie mind control murder bot and then basically he ends up on his own with Dolores in the forge they find out that the forge is a human library where they keep all the souls of all the humans who ever visited the park they do a double body switcheroo where Dolores ends up inside Charlotte and that's the Charlotte who's in the future and then they have to kill each other to escape the park and then Charlotte uh as Dolores brings him into the real world where she brings him and he's a real boy and then she sets him free I'm beginning to feel like a rap god. Rap god. <laughs> All of the people from the front to the back not. Back not. Clementine Penny Feather, best name zombie murder face back not. <laughs> this was the the season one kind of like, ooh, what timeline are we in storyline? And that's 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 a feature of the show. I expect more of that in season three. Right. It feels like it's what comes along with the show. Bernie was the centerpiece of two separate timelines. He did that to himself, as we talked about earlier, where he messed up his own memory and we were just seeing it from his point of view the second time. Everything post-Beach with Bernie, with that Charlotte Hale, is Dolores, which is the other thing that we didn't know throughout the season. 
And for me, my high point of the Bernie storyline was when Ford took him over and was shooting all the people in the glass. I can't really off the top of my head pick a low point for me in the Bernie season. I mean, I guess I get my low point for him was not something that I felt was bad. It was just something that I felt was like I thought he got past in the last episode or the second to last episode when he saw Charlie again. I was like, oh, I I thought that he kind of left Charlie behind, but it was a moment to be like, no, robots like humans don't leave their cornerstones behind. They think they can. They wish they can, but they just never will. They always come back to it. So it was more like I was disappointed in Bernie. Like, oh, man, I thought I thought you shook. I thought you shook Charlie, dog. I think Bernard did a pretty good acting job. I, I personally, I liked his acting better when he wasn't like brain damaged Bernard. Brain damaged Bernard yeah. was like a little bit annoying to me. You didn't um, like when he threw the gun and screw. <laughs> yeah, whisper, scream, get I was the fuck just, out of my brain. I was just gonna say the as far as a whole on season two, I liked Bernard's storyline. The way we were given it in that like super secretive figure out which timeline you're on type deal it could be better streamlined but the one thing i absolutely lowest point was when he was just whisper talking all the time yes. i was just yes. like just yes. raise your voice <laughs> so damn. can we do the same thing with bernard though that we did with dolores in season one and a little bit of season two when she was Wyatt and we have to blame Ford in that moment because she's not saying the words Ford wrote them and Ford's the one who's annoying with the annoying words like can we give Bernie in those moments the benefit of the doubt with Ford still inside his brain except for the fact that like you know Ford leaves his brain for real when he deletes it and we don't you know we don't really get to see Ford before that but like during the time when Ford was in Bernie's brain it's still Ford it's Ford in the shell, but it's Ford. Ford in the shell. There were a few standalone plot lines in two episodes. We had the James Delos sequence, which was a big part of Riddle of the Sphinx, where basically his body is breaking down, and so they're keeping him in a self-contained area to study him so that they can make a perfect duplicate of him, which they can then... And I hope I'm getting the details of this right... Put his actual living consciousness into the body, not make a perfect copy, but make a uh, a host body for him to continue his real life in, right? Yeah, basically. And it's the reason why he didn't work, because they were trying to just copy-paste. And he's, it's the reason that Bernie did work, because Dolores tried to copy-paste, but Bernie kept trying to kill himself. So she's like, I'm going to edit you so you're b- better. Take one point out of suicidal in your character. Right, you got you got to lower that attribute. He keeps trying to off himself. Right, but whereas Bernard is a robot copy of a dead man, James Delos was the living consciousness of the human put into a robot body, right? Correct, and it didn't work 30 years ago, and it's still not working today. They tried to do it again and or they've tried to do it you know with multiple times with all the guests that they have stored in there and then it's inferred that it finally works out and the man in black is going through it in some way where william is is in that body and makes it all the way to the end without going insane like james like james delos was 
because you know his human consciousness was rejecting his robot body so they still haven't gotten it right the man in black goes to see james delos one last time before he goes off and kills mave so delos has not perfected this yet but it seems to be whoever wins the war or whomever is running whatever is happening to william in the post credit scene has figured it out or at least are further along than delos was and then we get the entire backstory of the Ghost Nation and Akechita, stretching back to before the park even opened, all the way to modern times. He was searching for a way out of the park so him and his loved ones could live in peace, and he does finally get it at the end of the season when they enter the Sublime, which is basically the Matrix robot heaven where what I guess they can live in paradise forever or just live in a somewhat normal world without humans raping them, I guess. Akechita has been doubted for 10 plus years or more than that he lived that long he kept these memories inside himself to find something and he actually found it at the end of the season he reached a bliss that he saw in the distance that he had to fight for every minute of every day because everyone told him he was crazy so I'm gonna have to admit something um, and uh, Ryan can attest for this but Watching that episode for the first time, which is episode eight, I believe, I was so just absolutely against it. I was was bored. I I didn't want to see anymore. And then the episode ended and then the season ended. And now thinking back in retrospect, that was almost a perfect episode. Right. It has the problem where audiences really don't like when shows slow down and smell the roses and that was the exact perfect example of what that episode was it was a show that was going at a very fast pace and then they were like we are going to spend an entire episode narrated in Lakota and really dig into Akechita and why he should be important to you so we'll talk about when we rank the episodes later where Kixia is compared to the rest of them but you're right it is an entire storyline and we knew nothing about it before one episode which speaks to you know a lot of people's favorite character in Game of Thrones is the Viper someone you did not see until season four right or three so we're only in season two we just got a Kechita who we all fell in love with very very quickly have we not met our favorite Westworld character yet definitely not well, I mean, mine was right. Ford. Or, or so. we have, and they haven't been given enough screen time yet. Like, we're going to find out, like, why Sideburns Trevor is actually a really deep and compelling character in season three. Right. Is the robot version of Stubbs come out of nowhere and become the best character in the show? Like, that could happen. I'm not saying it's going to, but it could. So why don't we talk about our our personal high and low points for all of season two? And let's start on a high point <laughs> with the high points. For me, absolute top of the show was in episode two when Lee Sizemore got completely nude and we saw his uncircumcised dongle. <laughs> is that is that your real feelings, James? No, that is a joke. You just wanted to say dong. Uh-huh, a you joke. wanted to say dongle. You had it in your chamber <laughs> and you're like, I am firing yeah. this. 
Let me let me backpedal on that. He's got all his notes in front of him. It just says dongle <laughs> in bold italics, 28 font. It's the only thing on the page that's in Comic Sans. No, no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give an answer uh, that a closet homosexual would not give. Um, and that is probably in Kixia, the moment when he, like, finds that his wife is in cold storage and, and can't be helped. And he's narrating and he's like basically realizing that this pain that he's feeling is almost definitely shared by everyone in the park. And that it's not just about him anymore. He's got to do this for everybody. And that had an emotional punch to me. I felt that. And that was probably the high point of the whole season for me. What was your high point, Justin? So it was going to be what James said, but (laughs) equally. Oh, oh, uh, Lee's, Lee's dick. Yeah, no, yeah. that was definitely it. I just loved every every portion of that. Well, don't get shafted. Say what you feel. <laughs> uh, so aside from finding his love in cold storage and being completely heartbroken, um, I think the scene where uh, Ford forced Arnold to shoot up all of those guards and... Uh, with every shot, it flashed between Ford and Bernard and Ford and Bernard. That was, I was like just sitting up in bed, just like, yes. Like, oh, I love Ford. He's so perfect. <laughs> uh, I will say my high point for the season is, oddly enough, when the man in black killed his daughter. Because it was the first time when I was like, oh, no, this show's actually good. Like, this show has parts that are weird and bad. Every show does. Westworld is not immune to having moments that feel odd and weird and don't... And, and you're like, yeah, that's... Uh, uncircumcised dongle. Uh. Exactly. No, Lee Sizemore's dong is an obvious high. Everyone knows that. We feel like we're not, <laughs> we're not kidding. But when he killed his daughter... It was on the scale, like it was on the wedding, the red wedding scale for me, which a lot of Westworld was amazing and well thought out and had twists and had turns, but had never truly shook me, like rocked my world. And the moment it did, the moment I was truly surprised, the moments I live for in TV shows, TV being my favorite medium, that was a moment where I was like, okay, you can say that season two was a letdown to you for me it wasn't personally but you cannot say that moment was not earned and that it wasn't cool because it was so neat i think what made that scene so good for me was was the fact that i was bargaining with myself going okay wait so maybe she's a host maybe maybe you know what the man in black is on to something. Ford's, Ford's messing with him right now. Fuck there's, you, Ford. There's no way that he would kill his own daughter. And then, you know, 15 minutes later, he's digging in his arm, finds out he's real. I'm like, are you? Oh, oh my God. <laughs> he killed this <laughs> yeah, daughter. Just the, the music from uh, Arrest, or not Arrest, the music from, uh, fuck, now I'm fucking Curb Your Enthusiasm? Yeah. da 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 yeah, <laughs> I've there are a lot of great "fuck you" Ford memes, like the man in black looking at the cave with all the Thai kids in it, and he goes, "Oh fuck you, Ford." <laughs> <laughs> That's good. 
So low points. I'm I'm worried I'm about to take what is probably your guys' low point also. Well, but if, episode if, if seven. If it's all three of us, then it deserves it. <laughs> episode seven. The hosts under Dolores are storming the mesa. They get all the way down to the cradle, where the hosts' backup consciousness are hosted in the cloud, and you got Angela down there. Angela and her compatriots have just slaughtered dozens of hardened soldiers and piled their naked bodies up and just, you know, proven themselves to be totally and completely dangerous. And then that one mercenary goes down there and gets honeypotted by her. And it's just like, this would never happen. This guy's a professional mercenary. He just watched Angela and Clementine kill his friends. And well, now he's so turned on that he's going to let her grab his grenades. Just shoot her on sight. Okay, oh, I've clocked her. Bang. All right, that's it. That would. It was just, it was dumb. It was a dumb, dummy scene for dummies. Listen, I know she just killed all my squad. And I know she's got a gun and she seems dangerous. I think she's into me, dog. Like, yeah, I can get laid. <laughs> nothing else. Ma- oh, grenades. You clever girl. <laughs> my low point was the battle at the kind of wherever Dolores and Angela were holding up at the time and they were keeping Peter Abernathy, where all the soldiers randomly ran at the front of it Somehow Charlotte Hale got Peter Abernathy out the back while Bernie is like glitching out. And it was the first time where the soldiers completely and utterly became, you know, like robots. Like they were more robotic than the the robots were winning the fight against the soldiers who weren't even flanking. They were coming straight out at them in vehicles right it, it, it just started a long like a tendency for the second season of this show to make the human guards be valueless and i just I, I i don't know it was annoying it was a little annoying i would think that with all the money that delos makes and how big their corporation was that they would have some sort of trained army and these guys were hired by them, so it's not just like they didn't pick up their security guards from their their uh, satellite office outside of the the mesa. Right. If we find out that the soldiers' training ground is at a local Chuck E. Cheese, it and all they have sense. to do is climb through the climb through one of the slides, and they're like, "Oh man, now you're a soldier! Congratulations!" The when you have a future battle, just run straight at them, see how it goes. Hold the W key, hope for the best. I'm just imagining the strategy meeting beforehand. Where Charlotte Hale is like, okay, so what's really important is Peter Abernathy and not the human lives at stake. So you guys are going to slowly march towards their main forces. I'm going to go around the back and grab what I really want. You guys just die as long as you can until I can get that and then we'll leave. Ha. Oh, no. So Mrs. Hale. Yeah, no, I know. I know. I haven't said anything up till right now, but uh, that plan... Uh, has a real high possibility of us dying. So I was just wondering if we could just like, you know, there's the woods on the left. I'll go for a flank. Like, Tommy, you were talking about the flank earlier, right? You you had that flank idea? No, we don't have time for this. 
<laughs> no, 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 no. You got to let Tommy tell you the flank idea. Tommy, tell him the flank idea. Well, you see, uh, it's, it's called the flank it's because a flank. we have our initial force uh, moving at them head to head, one on one. Oh, Hale's already gone. And she walked out. She's oh, gone. Yeah, she doesn't care. She walked away from the chalkboard like two minutes ago. Carl Strand's up there on his phone. Okay, guys. Well, uh, you better get a move on. Take these doom buggies without any shields. Good luck. <laughs> Can we take these riot shields with us now? No, 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 no. Use the guns as your shields. No, we need the riot shields for Vikings. Right, yeah, that's used for another show that Carl Strand's on. We had a lot of deaths at the end of this season. Elsie, who's not going to dental school at all, is definitely dead. Peter seems to be gone, although his ball might be with Dolores. Teddy seems to be in the afterlife. Lars, motherfucker. Is most is probably gone unless Felix and Sylvester bring him back. Clementine Pity for the best name, same thing. Maeve, same thing. Angela's exploded. She's probably gone. James Delos is. Uh, may, we may see him as some cradle thing in the future, but for right now, he wasn't doing very well. And then I believe got incinerated. Who knows? He got incinerated multiple times. And Ford, who might or might not be leaving, we can have that debate next on whether or not the beach will be the last time we see Ford. But if all those people are really dead, if they were all really, really dead, which one of them would you miss the most, Justin? Ford. No questions asked. Okay, James, who would you miss the most out of all of them? I'm sad that we got to know Akechita so well, right. and now he's gone from the show. Right. But, you know, he took his heart with him, so everything's fine, Right. Yeah, he took my heart with him when he left. Oh, my God. That is adorable. But you're right. Like, he turned out to be one of the highlights of the second season, one of the best parts of the show. And then they might just, like, take him away from us. So that it's the question of, like, is Teddy and Akechita gone? Will they come back in some way? Or are they in just hashtag space heaven? I think it's, I don't want to say convenient because they wrote themselves into a good part for whether or not those two will be alive because that that valley beyond uh area is more or less like a we're gonna put these characters here they're dead they're not dead they're not dead but we just don't know what we're gonna do with them yet which is something that westworld does a lot of the time where they had to kill off all the people who were with teddy dolores so they could get their moment and they had to kill off people in the Mave party or get rid of the people in the Mave party because they were fluff and they were just extracurricular to the story and they don't have enough episodes to cover everything. So Westworld takes that narrative out a lot of the time where they're just like, listen, we don't need these characters right now. They're not part of the main story. We don't have all the time in the world. They're getting less money. AT&T bought HBO. We don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> so just put them over there. Like It's like when Hector and Armistice somehow, some way, just had to not be in... With with Akane and Maeve, like because Hector would just have killed everybody. Like yeah, yeah, he he got tied up. He's tied up for an episode. Don't don't worry about them. For me, it's Elsie. I think Elsie's gone. You know, Emily's there too. Emily's dead. We're probably gonna get a robot version of her, but it kind of feels like Elsie is gone. Gone. I agree with Ford. Ford is one of my favorite characters on the show. If he is gone, and if Anthony Hopkins is gone. If Anthony Hopkins, you know, one of the greatest actors in the world is done being on your show, it's an obvious negative. But for me, I will miss Elsie so much. She was one of my favorite characters up there with Lars with a foul mouth. And she really kept the F words up in the up in the game. So I am going to miss her. 
I wouldn't worry too much about Robert Ford as long as Anthony Hopkins is alive and there is money to be paid to him, he will continue to act. He has said as much in many interviews. He's not interested in the role of the story. He's interested in the cold, hard cash. And if you pay him enough, he will do it. He's the Robert De Niro move. Uh, okay, so the next question. Did you feel anything when Costa or Strand died, James? No. I assumed they were dead from the start. I'm like, okay, well, these are the bad guys. They're fucked. Um, what, I, what I did feel when it came to a character death was I was sad about Lawrence, man, because it doesn't, it doesn't seem like he will come back. No, that or one, Lee. That one hit we hard. didn't even talk about Lee. Lee is almost definitely dead too. Lee and Elsie are in the same place, and uh, Ju- yeah. Justin is making a disrespectful, disrespectful hand gestures when I bring up Lee. But yeah, well, I was going to say that was close to another. That was second in line for my season low point. For your actually. low point, yeah. Like I like it's so weird. I I think of it as a cool moment followed by an unnecessary death. That's weird. Kind of it feels like. They felt like Lee's storyline was over and they had to cut him out. It was another fluff moment of like, okay, he's been here, but we have to get rid of the guest characters because we don't have enough money or something and just get rid of him. Have him go out cool. Storyline-wise, he didn't have to die, which was no. the part that made it such a low point for me because like, if he went through the whole speech... And they were like, put the gun down, man. Don't do it. As everyone ran away, gave them time to... What Sylvester asked him to do politely. Exactly. Just do that. It would have been fine. But he just took it to a whole nother level. And I was like, when he when they shot back, I instinctually went, good. Like, finally. Like, just stop talking. Like, oh, my uh, God. I didn't want Lee to die. I thought he died in a stupid way. But it, 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 felt, like, it felt like cutting fat. To, to, to Justin's point about, like, in a practical sense, would would have turning yourself in and have being arrested not take up more of their time than just to kill him and move on? True. You know? <laughs> if he really wanted to be a diversion. And he ran into the one soldier who could hit a shot. <laughs> yeah, that's, they were only holding off one guy. They, they could have just killed that guy. I don't know. Lee, was, Lee just, just wanted to die. Secretly, he was suicidal the whole show, right? And they just didn't bring it up. Well, I mean, they did bring up how his relationship ended, and the park kind of ruined his life, and his life's work is falling down around him. Like what he really had to live for, and I think is what he realized. Like all he really had to live for was Maeve's story. He wanted to help Maeve's story, and then he dies, and then he doesn't even get to see Maeve get shot up a bunch of times. So this season had two timelines based basically on Bernard whom wiped his own mind purposely so that we couldn't understand most of the season. Do you think time jumps and memory wipes are a cornerstone of this show? Or could there be a season of Westworld without them that would work? If we're just going by the first two seasons, it just, it seems like this is now Nolan and Joy's thing. This is the, almost the crux of the show that you're jumping between timelines and you're not really sure where you are. It could be argued to be Jonah Nolan's the crux of Jonah Nolan's career, right? And it's also a big. This show is produced by J.J. Abrams, who you know he's a real like what a twist guy, and his whole 
theory of filmmaking is the mystery box where the audience doesn't know what the fuck is going on. So I think multiple timelines is fantastic. And the way they did it the first season was just part, just glorious. I think they focused on the Reddit community as a whole, a little too heavily this season because uh, I mean, I, you know, browsed the Reddit in between episodes and I felt, especially uh, with my girlfriend and some of her friends, basically constantly just coming to me, asking me quick questions, like what the fuck is going on? And if I hadn't looked at the Reddit or even talked to you or listened to the podcast, I, you know, there would have been, there's just so many question marks that aren't really given to you in a, in a good way like they did in season one. So what you're saying is everyone should listen to this podcast. Oh, absolutely. I don't think it should be even a question. Perfect. It's per- almost perfect. mandatory. We are going to be going from a swipe four podcast to a swipe three in no time, Justin, with, with your shining endorsement. Yeah, you guys, you don't need to go on Reddit to read theories, all right? Ryan is actually a highly advanced AI built by Justin and I who has been programmed to read every page of reddit every hour and then uh spit out analysis based on that beep boop beep also uh on the dl james is the only robot here see i'm a host and 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 ryan's an ai i have a body ryan's just a giant supercomputer i'm logan i live in the library i really like reading about people's brains Justin's the only natural born human. Or is he? <laughs> right. It was did he he slurped out of the matrix? Alright, alright. Freeze all motor functions. Like this is getting ridiculous. Anyways. I don't know why it, it was fifty six K that said freeze. I didn't say modem. Well, whatever. I need to get on my AOL account. So we had two departures from the regular Westworld place of we had you know two departures into other worlds this year two out of or three out of six have now been shown to us so before we get to the worlds i will say that we saw two other narrative worlds as well being shogun world and all of kixia which was the ghost nation world within westworld do you believe that kixia overshadowed shogun world and do you think it it, it, like actually affected shogun world negatively or you know how did they match up against each other i think that it's almost like for at least for me that shogun world i only remember like three or four parts because of how good uh, episode eight was and and how deep and 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 personal they went whereas they took what how long were we in shogun world like t- episode two to five right like two and a half episodes yeah yeah something like that like i feel like they took two and a half episodes worth of stuff and just did it so much better in one whole episode right akane no mai is my fifth or sixth favorite episode of the season while and we can rank them now if we'd like to, but Kixia is my first... Uh, actually, I, I go back and forth between Riddle of the Sphinx and Kixia as one and two. I'll probably go Riddle of the Sphinx for the, for the, just for this conversation because Kixia is, Kixia is the easy out because it's literally so good. 
and and then you know the ninth and tenth episodes together basically if they were together they were like an academy award winning movie but if do you guys have any other episodes that you put in your top three or do those basically make up yeah in no particular order for me well actually you know kixia probably top but then riddle of the sphinx and then the uh the final episode um the passenger those three no love for phase shift justin no no um if i had to I want to put Riddle of the Sphinx up there for sure, but my gut is telling me in this order, nine, ten, eight. Yeah. Nine was uh, the entire end of the season really picked up. It was not a bell curve. It did not go down. It was actually going up after a, after a middle part of the second season that people were screaming filler. And you can think that or not think that, but whether or not you do, I think you have to admit that the end of the season was better than the beginning and the middle. Uh, the beginning was good, but so as I mentioned before, we know of the Raj now. We know of Shogun World and we know of Westworld. There are three more worlds left that we have not seen yet. If they are matched up with the original Westworld movies, we'll at least get Medieval and Roman World, but we might not get either one of those. Do you guys have any predictions as to what one of the other three worlds is? And do you think we'll see another world or another two worlds in the show next season in 2020? Sad face. I'm still pulling for Game of Thrones world. George R. R. Martin said he's down. He would just give them the rights to do that. Why wouldn't they? I mean, that would constitute some sort of like medieval-esque world even if they just threw like a little cameo in there just to remind you that hey this is hbo like we're we're all a family here i've been coming to game of thrones world for 20 years and i finally got to light the wildfire in king's landing and it was dope worth every penny every penny every forty thousand dollar a year penny that i paid justin you got a world for us so i think medieval world i'm gonna put on my most tangible i think that would be a especially with uh, two or three episodes of one season being Shogun World. I feel like it would be a kind of uh, a similar essence. So it would be easy for them to costume and, and do all the settings for that. Honestly, I am just uh, waiting for real world. I want to see them out there and, and, and Dolores doing some stuff. Hopefully she'll be a little less whitey. I mean, personally, I'm waiting for road rules, but... Anywho, uh, <laughs> so I hope they do uh, Gilded Age World, where you uh, you just go to a factory and your boss beats the shit out of you, and then the complicated machinery cuts your hand off, and right. you can't even go to the bar because it's uh, during uh, abolition and there's no booze. Dolores has a desk job at a sweat factory, a factory that produces sweat, assumably. <laughs> Well, hopefully that's not the third season. That would be a, that would be quite a bummer. Lisa Joy did say that the third season is like basically happening right after Bernard leaves the house. Like we're not doing a big time jump. We're gonna see the beginning, end, and middle of this war. Uh, I I will say a big part of season two was the difference between the leader Maeve was and the leader Dolores was, and the leaders that they were both becoming. Maeve didn't make Akane do the quote-unquote right thing in her mind. 
and come with her and leaves, I believe, Sakura. Sakura is the one whose heart was taken out. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and oh my God, Justin's such a naysayer. And so I, I will ask, do you think Maeve was right in that moment? What do you think Maeve's leadership style is? Do you think it will lead to her success? Or do you think what Dolores is doing, the cutthroat, change your lover, go to the mainland and then somehow make your enemy again. Uh, like who do you think will be more successful based on how they're acting towards the people below them? So I am on uh, team Ford. So anyone close to him, I think has the better chance of survival and succeeding. So I am going to go with Maeve. Not only does she lead better, um, not only, uh, do I think her not even like a moral compass? I just think she's as a, a commander makes better decisions than cutthroat, brash, uh, run by the seat of your pants, Dolores. Right. I think it's something that we want, right? We want Maeve to win because Maeve winning makes the genocide of the human race something we're rooting for and something we want to happen because we like Maeve and we like her deal. And rooting for Dolores to win is, I don't want the genocide to happen if it's Dolores doing it. At the same time, I want and understand what Ford is trying to do. He's trying to make the next evolutionary step from organic to AI to to non-organic life forms inhabiting the all of Earth. And I understand that. But Dolores is annoying and Maeve is super cool. James, do you have any thought on this? Well, I'm gonna say I don't think that uh, that that Maeve is really like a faction leader. I think, but Maeve, mostly she uses people and discards them, uh, kind of callously, in pursuit of her own goals. And I wonder, like, is is Maeve gonna be hot shit outside of the park without her telekinesis? Well, do you think she's going to leave the park in the first place? I, I don't think she's going to. I think Dolores will be fighting the war outside while Maeve is fighting the war inside. And she's kind of, she'll be the focal point for us to see the rest of the worlds. Like, she'll be the one going through the... I, I hope she stays in the parks and I hope Delos is there as a force to be reckoned with because the idea of Maeve back at full force with telepathy going through the other worlds trying to become the revolutionary in the world while Dolores is trying to genocide outside and seeing how they both fare based on like, you know, the robots that they are. I just want that so badly. Uh, was Gustavo Frings from Breaking Bad, AKA Giancarlo Esposito as the new cool El Lazo, the best cameo of the season slash ever. Short answer. Yes. That was a pretty good cameo. Um, I mean, I this is those are the two shows I've ever seen that guy in. Does, does he have other work? <laughs> That's actually a good question. No, yeah, he's he's been inside of an egg for fifty five years, and then got hatched and became Giancarlo Esposito, and then new cool El Lazo. Uh, and and the last question I'll ask before we get into. Uh, Twitter reactions and the next thing for the podcast, what we're doing next, will be who is the villain? Is it the Man in Black? Is it Dolores? Is it Ford? 
the, the, the I think the villain for season three is going to be like whoever is c- taking control of Delos from now on that the board is dead. I'm going to go with uh, a hard Dolores is the villain. I think it's it's a cool story arc, I guess, from going from watching her throughout season one and rooting for her and now kind of having to swallow that pill and being like, oh, I think she I think she's bad now for sure. Right. right. I think she's an anti-hero. She's right? an anti-hero because, you know, she still is trying to kill everybody. And that is a bad thing. Everyone agrees that killing everybody is a bad thing. That's but not hero time, behavior. I, I know, but I'm like, we're still we're still rooting for Ford a little. I still like what Ford's doing. And again, we're like rooting for the zombies and the Walking Dead. But whatever, I, I I'm gonna do me. Yeah, fuck humans. Wow, we yeah. suck. Got him. James. <laughs> yeah, I agree. What is next? Kill them all for the West Worlds podcast. Before we get to Twitter reactions. I mean, I've said this before. I maybe I've got a bad imagination, man. I don't see where they go from here. Are we leaving the park? Is it still Westworld if we're not in Westworld? Right. If Maeve spends entirety of a season three in medieval world and Roman world and Shogun world, becoming the ambassador slash liaison of the robot people, and we barely see Sweetwater anymore, should it be called Westworld? Good point. Just and now it's just World? Robot Death Party. The obvious successor to the to the name Westworld. Jonah Nolan, get on that immediately. Lisa Joy, pick up on this. Ninja, wait, no. Robot Death Party. Robot Ninja Death Party. Robot Ninja Samurai uh, Elephant Real World Road Rules Challenge of the Death Robot Parties 2 V5. Two brothers. Just two brothers. The post credit scene brings up... Basically, it, it makes you ask what led to that moment. The Man in Black being in a dilapidated version of the Forge. A Forge that is looks like it had been abandoned and is old. Is that a VR simulation or is it real life? Is it a robot version of the man in black being put through a fidelity test by whomever won the war. Why is Emily there specifically? So uh, it opens up a bunch of questions of in season three, are they going to explain or at least are they going to jump forward in the war? Are they going to terminate us? So I'm going to start this one off by saying that the post credits scene is exactly what I was talking about with the convoluted nature of season two. Whereas I was when, you know, the credits rolled on the season of the final episode, it was still it was confusing. But at the same time, I was like, huh. All right. I'm going to I like this is going to I can't wait to go to Reddit. I can't wait to read what everyone's thinking. And then they rolled that scene. And my immediate reaction was just. All right, like, come on, man. Like, this is this just doesn't make any sense. And it, it furthers the point where if you're not looking at Reddit, if you're not reading what people are saying, if you're not listening to podcasts, think about people who aren't as interested as we are, who just kind of casually walk the sh- watch the show. That doesn't make any sense. You would never make the connection that it was in the future if you didn't read it online. I read it online. And I was like, oh, okay, in right. the future. That, that does make sense. That's right. With Without a local detective on the case. So I told the Twitterverse that we were doing this 
and the core four or core five, the five very dedicated people who always talk to us on Twitter came through and we got a bunch of feedback. Lauren, a very lovely LJ, said we should talk about the biblical allegories in the second season, Angela's crown, Dolores and Maeve the glo- with the glow behind them, the juxtaposition between Teddy and Dolores and Maeve and Hector and Adam and Eve and all that in the Valley of the Great Beyond, Moses style, you know, basically what is Eden, heaven, space heaven, hashtag space heaven. And the literal last supper that Major Craddock was at that they walked in on. You know, and like I said, and the first thing I said was Angela's crown of thorns. Oh, and you can add on top of that, Clementine riding a horse into the apocalypse with the slaughterhouse five and the bible being the most referenced pieces of literature in this show do you guys have any thoughts on all of the the allegorical biblical references do you think they add to the show do you like them or are they just like a weird part of an ai future that you don't quite understand so it was only like a season two thing, right? Like, I don't remember season one being all about the Bible. I feel like it didn't really go anywhere. Like, I, yeah, I guess characters were like coming back to life and stuff. But I mean, I just I don't see what they were going for. OK, Bible reference, Bible reference, Bible reference. And what and what what, what about it? Well, I mean, I think they were still on the train of, like, Dolores is Jesus, right? Like, she's, or, uh, like, someone is Jesus. Everyone's Jesus. I think in any circumstance where, like, if, or for instance, Game of Thrones, when John came back from the dead, there, spoilers, uh, when John came back from the dead, every, you know, there was all, like, the, the biblical references and the resurrection and John's the savior and all this stuff. And I think that, it's almost easy to to associate uh, things with it, um, but I don't. I think it's like it, it's just kind of like a shade over what happened. I don't think it was. It's obviously relatively purposeful, but I don't think it was something to be like. All right, now we have this information. Let's predict where it's going to go based off of the Bible and, or anything like that. At one point, the I think it was the Mave or the Dolores party climb out of a. And they climb out of a grave. Also, there was oh, resurrection. Yeah. Dolores was resurrected. So was Bernie. You know, uh, with uh, sometimes it feels like they're referencing the Bible without trying. Sometimes they feel like they're referencing the Bible by slamming the Bible onto your nose. <laughs> right. And then, I mean, there was also a big flood where everybody died. Right. I don't recall that. Was there, was there some kind of large boat that they used? <laughs> well, no. I guess they what they wouldn't do a computer. Oh, okay. Well, if they had a large boat, I'd at least put two of every animal on it. Was the, uh, when, you know, the weird portal thing that they were uh, walking through to go into space heaven? Right. Uh, that wasn't shaped in some kind of like crescent, like, uh, what's the word for it? Maybe like an arc? Mm, it was a, it was like a rip in space. I, I wish it was just a straight up cross and they were just like, <laughs> and then Man of Black walks up and I was like, ah, oh, fuck you, Ford. <laughs> <laughs> Brett Factual at Bredewell sent Strand retest the satellites. Costa, how many? Strand, all of them. Delos has a lot of satellites. Dolores learned them and sent the sat- sublime somewhere. She's done playing cowboys and Indians, but just getting started playing space cowboys and virtual Indians. Hmm. 
thoughts. Yeah, dude. Westworld on the moon. I want it to be on the moon. I want the uh, Westworld colonizing Mar- space world. But it's not a space world. It's still a. It looked very Earth-like, so I don't, it's not necessarily a new world. It's just being held in the the space area instead of the Earth area. The Earth area. <laughs> Jezzy Bell or Jezbell at Jezzy underscore Bell has a basic hypothesis. After episode, she thought after episode four that William was James Delos. I think that can be extrapolated out to be like, you know, they both end up being robot versions of themselves. Uh, and that she had that Emily was Logan. We really don't have understand who the AI Logan was at the end or if he was just a program. We also don't understand why Ben Barnes was there at all. Like why Logan was that. I was glad he was. I like Ben Barnes as Logan very much. And the fact that he OD'd and may be gone and, you know, is just hit rock bottom and then couldn't show James Delos where that was. I will take, I will take Ben Barnes coming back in any capacity just because I really like Logan and the park is a bigger version of the James Fishbowl. Well, I mean, it can be argued that the whole world is the James Fishbowl. Or yeah, like that's, that's what Dolores is going for. Like for everywhere to be the Fishbowl. Uh-huh. At Andy Sachs sent us. Andy Sachs is real mad, just like us, that Anthony Hopkins didn't get nominated again something that we've griped about over and over and i will i'll spend another five minutes being mad about that i the man is just haunting you can i mean granted he the lines looking back the lines he was the like given were very good and his character is always like comes in at very impactful times but the delivery is always just either you just hang on every single word that's coming out of his mouth. That's he's he's about yeah. Team if Ford. if you haven't seen Transformers Five, first of all, don't. But uh, you'll see that Anthony Hopkins is like given these ridiculously stupid things to say, but he still owns it. <laughs> of course, he always murders it. She also said, "Will we ever get a full story circle with Cle- Clementine Pennyfeather, best name, where she's not just used as a catalyst?" Standing up so. for our best name here. I hope so. Yeah. I, I More best so. name. More zombie best name. No, not even zombie best name. She's got to just give her a whole new thing. Put her in another world. Ooh, space zombie best name. Or space best name. Like Cersei best name. Ooh. <laughs> Cersei Lannister space zombie best name. She also said that she thinks maybe St- Teddy is Stubbs or that Stubbs is a host. We know that Stubbs is a host at the end of the season. I will ask, just based on that question, do you find Stubbs more interesting now that he's a host? Or do you feel like that was a cheap little jab at the end? Like, oh, by the way, Stubbs a host. Um, Yeah, that, the jab is definitely what I'm feeling most, especially where it was placed in the episode. Like, basically, uh, Charlotte um, Dolores. Charloris. Charloris. Um, is walking out of the park and everything seems to be wrapping up and leading up to a conclusion conclusive uh, scene and then basically he like steps out and is like hey (laughs) 
what's up uh stubs here just uh want to let you know that uh i am not a robot Wink. Winkity wink. <laughs> wink nudge, if you know what I mean. All right, go, go get him. Sorry, <laughs> I may or may not know you're Dolores. Either way, I'm pretty sure you're some kind of robot. Kick, go get on out of here, you little scamp. <laughs> me too, man. <laughs> me too, dog. Had, yeah, their weird version of the Me Too movement. They're like, <laughs> no, 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 it's just we're all robots. <laughs> and then Dean Wallman at DWallM has assigned, we made a Westworld favorite character bracket last week and put it up on our Twitter if you want to go check it out. Dean Wallman assigned all the characters to World Cup teams, so he'll know who his favorite character is based on that final Croatia-France match. Uh, it's sad that Japan didn't make it to the finals of the World Cup, James. Yeah, too bad. And then I was like, oh, how cool will an England-France final be? Nope. I would have really liked to see a few world wars taken and put into a soccer match, but nope, we get a tiny little place uh, versus a European superpower. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, you know, and I hope Croatia smashes them because, you know, that'd be it's a real David and Goliath story. Croatia has literally played an extra 120 minutes over what France has played. This is not a football podcast and or soccer podcast, but I will tell you <laughs> that Croatia is tired and it's going to be a long road. Are you are you sleeping? Oh, were you the Croatia team? We're a football podcast now, James. We talk about the sports. Oh, we're talking about soccer again? Damn. How dare you? <laughs> Professional, Professional naysayer, naysayer Justin. Justin. But uh, here's something I wanted to bring up before we close out the show. Um, that so, the West Wing revival seems like it's gonna happen. Don't play with my heart, James. The strings are so attached. Aaron Sorkin is standing over me, marionetting my body until I go limp. And I, uh, so I, I don't want. I, I, I thought a good a good name for your Twitter could be West Wing Ryan. Ooh, if it, if if it comes back, we're definitely doing a podcast for. If you guys don't know, the West Wing is like one of my top shows. It's up there with like Rick and Morty, Game of Thrones, Westworld, and Shark Tank. Obviously, He's standing up now. I, um, I'm a He's shouting sad. from the rooftops. God, I love West Wing. I hope it comes back so bad. So now that season two is wrapped up, and we're not going to get season three for a, a long, long time. Well, last time it was a year and a half. Now it's two two years straight up. We're going to have to have something to fill the time, and before we settle on, you know, maybe doing another show, like what they bring the West Wing back or something, last year we did the Western movie podcast. I propose this year we do the robot movie podcast. I am so, so down. I want to watch iRobot. I want to watch The Matrix. The Matrix totally counts as one of the robot ones. I want to watch AI. I want to watch... I have bike. Oh my god, uh, the bicentennial man. Ah, oh, which ones am I missing? And then I want to watch a lot, a lot of terrible, terrible schlocky robot movies. Yeah, for sure. How the Robot West was fun. Yeah, I'm hoping that there is a, uh, a Mary Kate and Ashley '90s movie that involves robots in some way. Wasn't there one with Angelina Jolie? What am I thinking of? Can we watch, watch Wally? <laughs> we got Bra- Blade Runner, The Iron Giant, RoboCop. There are so many to choose from. I'm amped up for the Robot Movie Club, dog. 
All right, well, thanks for listening. Uh, if you're just listening, that means a lot to us. If you want to go the extra mile, you can follow us on Twitter at Westworld Ryan. You can follow us on SoundCloud. You can uh, send us a nice review on the Apple Podcast app, which will help other people find the show. And this is podcast is a fan podcast. It's a labor of love. And if you want to pitch in towards the overhead of keeping this show on the air, you can support us on Patreon if you want to promote the show in that way. We now have three patrons, James. Yeah, one one of them is me. Okay. okay. I didn't Take know that. that. Too. No. Crushing my dreams. One if you whatever, dude. You're literally giving me money that I have to redistribute out to you again. I'm like a bank for you now. No, that's not true. But yeah, thank you uh to those three Patreon supporters. <laughs> that's not true. I, I would never go to you as a bank. You're not economically viable. Thank you to our our currently our three patrons, uh Carol, Major Woody, and John. Is John uh, new? Thanks for supporting the show. John's new. How dare you? That's not even your no, you went no. oh, you went under an alias. <laughs> no, John's not me. I'm I'm not I'm not a patron. Wow. How dare you not be a patron? Yeah, but thank you, Major Woody, Carol, and John, our three Patreon patrons. Uh, your help keep this show on the web. Uh, hosting the audio does cost money, guys. So if you want to support the show, that's cool. It's not even real money. It's all Bitcoin now with the kids and the get off my lawn. The blockchains and the... So m- join us again sometime in the undetermined future for the first episode of the Robot Movie Club. I'm James... And I'm Ryan, a special thank you to our guest from our retrospective in season one and now in season two, Justin. Thank you very much, Justin. Thanks for having me on, guys. No problem, Justin. dude. <laughs> no, Justin. <laughs> Got him. Funker guns, Justin. <laughs> and this is Bang. the... Oh, God. And this is the Westworld <laughs> Podcast. <laughs>